Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is living and active. We thank you so much that your word is truth. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would come and speak to each of us here this morning. Lord, you would speak through me, not my words, but your words, God. Holy Spirit, come and challenge us. Open our hearts, open our minds to receive the truth this morning. May you bless us. May the word be sown into our hearts where it can bear fruit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the Gospel of John. So we're looking at the Gospel of John this year, and John 1 is a great place to start looking at the Gospel of John. I think it'd be kind of weird to start anywhere other than John 1. And we've been looking at John 1 about the 12 names of Jesus. Jim has picked out, Pastor Jim picked out 12 names of Jesus. Now, over the last couple of weeks, Jim and Pavey have been looking at those names. I'm going to quickly give you a quick recap, okay? Don't try and jot down the scripture references because I'm going to fly through them. Hopefully Mel can keep up with me. Uh, Jim talked about John, that Jesus is the word. Okay, Jesus is the true light. And then Pavey spoke last week. He said that Jesus, he is, Jesus, he is the son. He is the Christ, as in Jesus Christ. So the son, he is uh, the Lord. Okay, he is the lamb of God and he is the chosen one of God. Okay, so we're up to number eight. And I'm going to finish this morning looking at names for Jesus, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. They're the last five names of Jesus. Okay, so we're going to pick up the story in John 1, chapter, uh, verse 35, leaving off where Pavey was last week, where John the Baptist was talking about Jesus. And we're going to pick up in verse 35, and this week we're going to look at the humanity of Jesus. These last five titles are all about the humanity of Jesus. And it's really, really important we understand the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus was fully human as well as fully God, which I will talk about later on. But looking about the humanity of Jesus, so John 1, 35, it says, The following day, John, that's John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He probably didn't say it like that. Okay. What do you want? He's not Australian. Okay. The other, in other versions it says, what are you seeking? So Jesus replies, what are you seeking? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. And said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip, lots of people, 
went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and angels, going, angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. So as we unpack these verses, we're going to uncover the last five names of Jesus. And so then we'll have our 12. But they're more than just 12 names for Jesus. What they are is they are 12 roles that he fulfills. There are 12 functions of his ministry. There are 12 purposes of Jesus and why he came to earth. The other thing is they come from different sources. We know that we don't know somebody completely. We know the person that we see. The person you go to work with, you know them as that work person. But you don't know them as that family person. We know people from different perspectives. And so we're looking at different perspectives here. First of all, when Jim talked, those two names he talked about, the Word and the True Light, those came from John, the writer of the Gospel, John the Apostle. He gave those names to Jesus. And then Pavey came last week, and she continued from John the Apostle's perspective. Okay, And then we had John the Baptist, so a different view. And John the Baptist called him Son of God, called him the Lamb of God, called him the Chosen One of God. So you have John the Apostle's perspective, you have John the Baptist's perspective. And today, what we're going to see is a completely new perspective on Jesus. We're going to see somebody following Jesus and what they call Jesus and then once we see those we'll have the whole picture of Jesus we'll have a complete picture of Jesus so the first one I want to talk about today is Jesus the teacher Jesus the teacher so verse 38 Jesus looked around and saw them following what do you want what are you seeking he asked them, and they replied, Rabbi, which means, teacher, where are you staying? So John the Baptist is walking along with his two disciples. And when they spy Jesus, John the Baptist draws attention to Jesus, exclaiming, there is the Son of God. And so his disciples leave John and start to follow Jesus because they're curious. And so we have a transition from John the Baptist to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is awesome. John knew his role well. He understood what God had called him to do. He came to prepare the way. And you see, he literally points the way to Jesus, saying, there is Jesus now, and his disciples follow him. John Baptist said, I must decrease so he can increase. And the first thing they call him is they call him rabbi. They call him rabbi, which is teacher. Now, not to delve too deeply into Jewish culture, but rabbis were men who had their own students. They had their own followers. And these students would go everywhere the rabbi went. Everywhere. They would speak like him. They would act like him. They would talk like him. They would learn everything from him. They would eat like him. They would do everything the rabbi did the way that he did it. 
They followed his every way of life. And so we come to these two disciples of John who wish to learn more about Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so they call him Rabbi, which literally means Master. Master. Jesus' role as teacher is integral to his mission here on earth. It was in his role as Rabbi that gave Jesus position in society. People knew who he was. He had followers, he had disciples. Oh, that's a rabbi. Just like that's a rabbi, and that's a rabbi, and that's a rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi. We know where he fits in. Because in society we do that, don't we? We like to place people where they belong in society because we like to understand and feel comfortable with what's happening. So we like to put people somewhere so we can organize them in our minds. Oh, that belongs there, that belongs there, that belongs there. That's fine. In society, they put Jesus, oh, he's a rabbi. Okay, he's a teacher. Okay, I know where he belongs. Now, although Jesus never called himself rabbi, he knew that other people viewed him this way. This is how society at large labelled Jesus. He was rabbi. But Jesus could use that role to influence other people. He could engage in discussion with other rabbis, other teachers, with the Jewish leaders. As a teacher, the path into teaching in a synagogue was much clearer, much easier, because he was a rabbi. It would have made gaining an audience far easier. Because as it was, if you're a rabbi, people would come and, up and ask you questions. You would be walking along with your followers and people would stop you. And they would ask you questions. That's how it worked. So gaining an audience for Jesus was much easier if he was recognized as a teacher. But as a teacher, Jesus taught some very controversial ideas. In Matthew 12, we see Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and they're walking through a, a grain field. And his disciples pick some heads off the grain to eat because they're hungry. And the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees in this point, see that and they go, oh, they're picking grain on the Sabbath. You can't do that. That's against the law. And so Jesus enters in this discussion with these Jewish leaders about what is okay and not okay on the Sabbath. And in verse 11, we see him go into the synagogue and he pulls a man aside. This man has a shriveled hand in the synagogue. And he's in front of the Jewish leaders and he says, Jesus says to the leaders, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Oh my goodness, you can't say that. Jesus can't say that, that's against the law. He says, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are going, no it's not, that's against the law. You can't do that. And then Jesus says to the man next to him, hold out your hand. So the man held it out and it was restored. It was healed, just like the other one. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And then it says in verse 14, then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot to kill Jesus because he did good, because he taught controversial ideas. Jesus used his position as a teacher to make a statement. Jesus' teaching brought opposition. His teaching brought opposition. Jesus came into opposition with those who had the controlling stake in how the society operated. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. First of all, he spoke to a Samaritan. Oh my goodness, you can't do that. He spoke to a woman. You certainly can't do that. He saved a woman from being legally stoned to death. He said, he was out sin, cast the first stone. 
He touched lepers. He dined with outcasts. Wherever he went, whomever he talked to, whomever he visited, Jesus challenged the culture. He challenged their culture. He challenged how things were done. He did things you couldn't do. He taught ideas that couldn't be taught. Jesus' role as teacher is what led him to the cross because it put him in conflict with the Pharisees and Jewish leaders of the time. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said this, You should not imagine that I came to bring peace, but what? A sword. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus came to stir things up. He came to produce conflict. That's what he wanted. Why? So he would end up on the cross. He knew it would happen. Imagine if Jesus just came. He didn't do any teaching, didn't do any ministry, didn't heal people. He just came into the temple one day and said, I'm the Lamb of God, I'm the Messiah. That's all he ever did. They would think that he's a lunatic. They would think, just another crazy guy or another demon-possessed man. They wouldn't consider him the Son of God. As a teacher, though, as a rabbi, Jesus taught. He did miracles. He created a following. He created a movement of compassion, of love, that flew in the face of their society. And then Jesus, the teacher, was crucified because of it. Jesus, the teacher. Next, we have Jesus, the Messiah, the ninth title of Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. In verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we found the Messiah. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, and Jesus looked intently at Simon. Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So it's Andrew, he gives us this new perspective, this new disciple of Jesus. He gives him the birth teacher of rabbi and the title of Messiah. The two disciples, one of which is Andrew, the other one is John, the writer of this gospel. Andrew and John were the first two disciples to follow Jesus. They, they followed Jesus, they spent the rest of the day with him, probably the night as well, talking about all manner of things. And the very next morning, the first thing that Andrew does is he runs to find his brother Simon. And what does he say? He says, we have found the Messiah. Not we have found a rabbi, we have found a teacher. We have found the Messiah. In the space of one conversation with Jesus, very long conversation with Jesus, in the eyes of Andrew and John, Jesus went from rabbi to Messiah. Now we know last week, Pavey talked about Messiah. He talked about the fact that she said it was the anointed one. Messiah means anointed one. And throughout all of his, Israel's history, we see that they also named their kings anointed ones. Their kings were considered anointed. You see this in 1 Samuel 26, 11, where David is in the cave and he can kill Saul but doesn't because he says, how can I kill God's anointed? So the Israelite kings were considered anointed ones. Messiah means anointed. So you can see it is natural, it's expected for the Jewish people when they speak of the coming Messiah, to think that he is going to be a king. He is going to be a military king. He's going to deliver them from Roman occupation and he's going to restore the nation of Israel. That's what they expected. That's what most Jews expected. But it's not what everyone expected. There was also another school of thought. 
They didn't see the Messiah as an all-conquering king. They saw the Messiah as the suffering sacrifice. Because they saw the Messiah in Isaiah 53. In verse 5 it tells us, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. They saw this Messiah. They saw the suffering sacrifice Messiah. But most Jews saw the Messiah in Isaiah 9, where it says the government will rest on his shoulders. They saw a political figure, someone who would come and topple the system. He will rule, and he will rule because he is the Lord of heaven's armies. They wanted the Messiah to come in with God's armies and take out the Romans. They read Isaiah 11, where it says the nations will rally to him, and he will raise a flag among the nations. They wanted this world leader Messiah this world leader, king. The question is, is the Messiah a sacrifice or is he a king? Who was their Messiah to be? Is he a sacrifice or a king? The truth is simple. Jesus is both. He was our sacrifice and he is our king. It was just that the cross had to come before the crown. The cross had to come before the crown. He had to be sacrificed before he could be king. He had to lay down his life before he could be lifted up as the king of kings. That was God's plan all along. Our God is a God of order. God has a plan. And even when the plan seems to be not working, it seems to be failing, when Jesus is in the grave and the disciples are in hiding in fear for their life, God's plan is unfolding. God is working out his plan, and then resurrection, boom, God's plan has prevailed. God's order has prevailed. Never forget that Jesus, the Messiah, reminds us that God has a plan. And if we trust in him, if we persevere, we will see the fruit of his plan. We will see it unfold, and we'll see his glory. Jesus, the Messiah. The tenth title is Jesus, son of Joseph. Jesus, the son of Joseph. In verse 45, we read that Philip, who just started following Jesus, he's already started evangelizing, he just followed Jesus, he's going to get someone else now. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself. Philip replied. So after Andrew grabs his brother Simon, he encounters Jesus, and he calls him Peter. Jesus and now his new disciples, they travel to Galilee. And there Jesus finds Philip, and he says, follow me, and Philip does. And then Philip goes to grab Nathaniel. And so we have Nathaniel on the scene. I love Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a Jew. He was a Jew's Jew. He was an Israelite who knew the Scriptures. He was devout. The thing is, only John's gospel mentions Nathaniel. And if you're aware of that or not, Nathaniel was a disciple of Jesus, but he's only mentioned in John's gospel. Why is that? Because in the other three gospels, he's called Bartholomew. They're the same person, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, the same guy. Why is that? Because Bartholomew was how he referred to him as his father's son. His father's name was Tolmai. And so, therefore, Nathaniel was Bar-Tolmai, because Bar means son of. He was Bar-Tolmai. And so Bar-Tolmai became Bartholomew. You get it? 
Okay, same person, but he was actually called Nathaniel. Having one name, having more than one name in the first century was not that big a deal. It was quite common. Just look at Jesus. He's got 12. Okay. Actually, there's more than 12. We're going to go into that. When Philip comes to Nathaniel, he describes Jesus as the one Moses wrote about and the prophets. That's not the way that Andrew told Peter about Jesus. He said, we found the Messiah. But Nathaniel chooses different language. He says, we've found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. So that tells us who Nathaniel is, that he knew the scriptures. He probably memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He would have known it. Philip uses the word of God to give Nathaniel a handle of understanding so he knows what Philip's going on about. And what's Nathaniel's first reaction? How does he respond? Nazareth? How can anything good come from Nazareth? Doubt. He doubted Philip's words. He doubted. Nazareth was a despised little Galilean town. The whole of Galilee, Galilee was considered like country bumpkin. Like, like they're they off in the country, like, you know. But Nazareth, that was at the bottom of the rung of cities. Nathaniel was from Cana. And Cana considered themselves much better than Nazareth, okay? Like, Cana's up here and Nazareth is down there. And because Nathaniel came from Cana, he knew Nathan, Nazareth well. He knew it well. He knew the kind of people that came from there. Furthermore, as one devoted to the word, Nathaniel would have known that the Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. The Messiah was born where? Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Bethlehem, that's where the Messiah will come from, not from Nazareth. And Jesus was known as Jesus the Nazarene. So Jesus was from Nazareth. He was the son of Joseph. In John 6.42, we see Jesus is speaking to the people and he says this. He says, I'm the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And what do the people say? How can he say he came down from heaven? This is Joseph and Mary's boy. That's, that's Joe's kid. How can he say he came down from heaven? They doubted Jesus. They labelled him. He's just the son of Joseph. He can't be the bread of life. He can't be from heaven. He's just Joe's boy. Jesus was rejected first because of his hometown and also because of who he was. He was just the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. He's nobody. He can't be the Messiah. These are the labels they gave Jesus. Labels meant to diminish him. They dismissed Jesus because of the labels they gave him. But the truth is, God doesn't care about labels. I don't know what labels you could be wearing, labels that people have given you, labels that you've given yourself, that you've worn around for a long time, labels that say you can't or you're not good enough or it's not possible, it can't be done. We are not the labels that others give you. That is not who we are. That is not our identity. We are not the labels that others give us. The truth is it only matters what God calls you. It only matters what God is doing in you, not what other people think. In 1 Corinthians, it says this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, he says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you we're not wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the thing the world, world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless 
to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted nothing as all, nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God uses the things that the world considers nothing. That's what God uses. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It only matters what God has called you to. And that is to receive the truth. The truth is what? God loves you. God loves you. He wants you to receive that truth. He wants you to believe that truth. And he wants you to live that truth. And that means loving like Jesus loves. Jesus can't be the Messiah. Jesus is only the son of Joseph. They're just labels. They mean nothing in the face of the truth that God uses the unexpected to achieve the unimaginable. God uses the unexpected to achieve the unimaginable. Now I know what you're thinking. Technically, Jesus isn't the son of Joseph. Biologically, you would be correct. Okay, We know that. Okay, But you don't need to be someone's biological parent to be their parent, do you? We all know that. We all know that. Family is more than blood. We know that. Being someone's son or daughter meant so much more in that society. Look at Bartholomew. His name literally meant, I'm that guy's son. I'm Bartholomew. I'm Bartholomew. It was the first century equivalent of Tolmai Jr. Okay? He was known as that guy's son. That was his name. It was your place in society. Jesus would always be the son of Joseph. And that is so important. It is super important that Jesus is the son of Joseph. Because only as the son of Joseph does Jesus fulfill scripture. It is this name of Jesus, the son of Joseph, that confirms God's word as truth. It is through Joseph that Jesus continues the line of David and Abraham. Joseph, the son of Joseph, fulfills prophecy. Abraham is told that, his, that the nations will be blessed through his descendants. David is told that one of his descendants will be raised up and his throne will be secured forever. That's Jesus. That's Jesus who does that. Jesus fulfilled God's promise because he's the son of Joseph, the son of God, born of woman, raised by God's servant, an insignificant family from an insignificant town, called to be responsible for God's greatest gift. Jesus, the son of Joseph. The 11th title, we're getting there, is Jesus, the King of Israel. Jesus, the King of Israel. Verse 48, before we get to verse 48, we just notice that, remember Peter, Philip said to Nathaniel, when he said, nothing good could come from Nazareth, Philip said, come and see for yourself. That's what Jesus said to Andrew and John. Where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see. I love how Philip just follows on what Jesus says. They're already copying their rabbi, their master. They're copying their Messiah. He says, come and see. And as they approached, Philip brought Nathanael. And as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And then Nathanael said this. He said, how do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Nathanael 
goes very quickly from doubting Jesus to you're the son of God, the king of Israel. He goes, sure, nothing good can come from Nazareth. Jesus says two sentences. And now suddenly, king of Israel. That is a very quick turnaround. The title king of Israel is very similar to Messiah. As we said before, it means anointed, the anointed one. And we see later on in John that Jesus is presented as a king. Remember when he rode into Jerusalem in John 12? People shouted, what? They shouted, hail to the king of Israel. So he's presented as a king later on. And standing in front of Pilate, Jesus affirms that he is a king. He just says that my kingdom is not of this world. I just came here to testify to the truth. And we know that truth is that Jesus is the king of kings. And that Jesus' kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is eternal. Jesus' reign will never end. And those who believe the truth will live forever with him in heaven. Nathaniel recognizes in that moment that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. But why? What happened in those two verses? This is where John's gospel is awesome. All the gospels are awesome, and you can find spiritual truth in all the gospels. But the gospel of John specifically gets quite deep. A lot of spiritual truth to be found there. This is why Nathaniel quickly goes from doubter to believer. Jesus proclaims that Nathaniel is an Israelite of complete integrity. So Philip is walking along with Nathaniel, approaching Jesus. They haven't talked to each other yet. And Jesus goes, here is an Israelite, a man of complete integrity. Another version that says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He hasn't even met Nathaniel yet, okay? Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And what's Nathaniel's response? How do you know me? As if, that's right, I am a man without conceit. Sound a little conceited to you? Okay, be kind of weird. I'm like, here is Brad in whom there is no deceit. And Brad goes, oh yeah, that's me. He sounds exactly like me. But we know that's not true because none of us can ever claim to be without deceit. Okay, we've all lied at some point in our life. We know that. But Jesus says, here is Nathaniel in whom there is no deceit. And then Nathaniel goes, how do you know about me? It sounds like he's being a little bit proud, a little bit conceited. That's not what's happening here. That's not Nathaniel's point. After Jesus asked, how do you know me? Jesus responds, I saw you sitting under the fig tree when Philip called you. So on the surface, it seems that Jesus supernaturally knew where Nathaniel was when Philip found him, which would be pretty cool. Okay, if Jesus could tell you where you were before you met him, that'd be awesome. But there is a deeper meaning here. There is something else going on. There is a Jewish saying, and the Jewish saying is this, under the fig tree. Okay? Under the fig tree literally, figuratively means to be praying or pondering the scriptures. So if you're praying or studying the word of God, or meditating on God's word, you are under the fig tree in Jewish culture. So Nathaniel, a devout Jew that he is, he knew the Torah by heart, meditating on God's word, so he's under the fig tree. He could have quite possibly been literally under a fig tree at the same time. I'm not saying he wasn't sitting under a fig tree. He could have been doing that as well. Okay, that could have happened. Okay? So he could have been literally under a fig tree, but also figuratively under the fig tree. And then meditating on some part of scripture. 
Nathaniel was thinking about something in particular that he knows in the Word of God. And then Jesus references that when he sees Nathaniel coming. He says, Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That's a very oddly specific thing to say to someone whom you've never met. Okay, if someone comes into the church, I don't go, Oh, there's John in whom there's no deceit, even though I have no idea who John is. Okay? I would, I, you wouldn't do that. Okay? Jesus is being very specific here. I believe that Jesus is talking about Jacob, the son of Isaac. Because Jacob means deceiver. That's what his name means. Jacob means deceiver. Here is a son of Israel in whom there is no deceit, because you were just thinking about someone who's called deceiver. Now, I think you're thinking, that's a bit of a stretch, Pastor Randall. But we're going to come back to this in a second, and you'll see why I believe that is the case. What I want you to do, I want you to picture the scene. Nathaniel the doubter has his world turned upside down in a moment. And he names Jesus King of Israel, the Anointed One. That is the power of encountering Jesus. He speaks into our situation. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he speaks to us. He reveals himself to us in only a way that we understand. Think about the time that you came to believe in Jesus. When you turned from doubter to believer. When you were unsaved and then you were saved. Jesus revealed himself to you in some way or through someone that spoke directly to your heart and to your mind that made you believe. At some point in time, Jesus revealed himself to you, specifically to you. That is what Jesus, the King of Israel, is. He speaks to us. The last title we're going to look at is Jesus, the Son of Man. In verse 50, we see, this is Nathaniel talking to Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you believe this because I just told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth. You will, see, you will all see heaven open and angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who was the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus, the Son of Man. We had John, the writer, naming Jesus. We had John the Baptist naming Jesus. We had Andrew and John naming Jesus. And now we have Jesus himself calling himself the Son of Man, a different perspective from Jesus himself. And this is the most important name of Jesus that we have this morning. Always save the best to last. Eighty-three times in the gospel, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. 83 times. And what's most important about this purpose of Jesus, this role of Jesus, this name of Jesus, is it speaks both of his deity, that he is fully God, and also of his humanity, he is fully human. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus responds to Nathaniel's revelation that he is the king of Israel. And here we uncover the last name. The Son of Man. Jesus responds to Nathanael's faith. One revelation, and Nathanael is all in. He's all in. There's no mistake then that the first miracle that Jesus performs is in Cana, Nathanael's hometown. Then Jesus finishes off by giving him a familiar picture. 
Jesus says, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does this image seem familiar to you? If you've been journaling this year, we looked at this in Genesis chapter 28. Nathaniel knew the image. He knew it very well. Jesus is making a direct reference to a famous dream. Who had the dream? Jacob. Jacob had the dream. Jacob had the dream. Jacob the deceiver had the dream. It's called Jacob's Ladder. This famous dream of Jacob happens after Jacob is sent away. Remember, he stole his brother Esau's birthright, and then he stole his father's blessing as well. And so Esau wants to kill him. And so Jacob has to send, uh, Isaac has to send Jacob away. So Jacob goes, and he's sleeping with a rock as a pillow on the ground. And he has this dream of a stairway where angels are going up and going down. Now Jesus uses the same imagery. Why? Because Nathaniel was thinking about Jacob. And he revealed it to Nathaniel, saying, In he is a man who has no deceit, because he was thinking about Jacob. He was thinking about Jacob's letter. And so Jesus blows his mind and said, I am the Son of Man. On me you will see angels ascending and descending. Nathaniel was like, That's amazing, Jesus. But it's also a picture for us. This picture shows us that in the Son of Man, Jesus is the living link between heaven and earth. He is the connection between us and God. Only Jesus as fully God and fully man can be the connection between this world and the heavenly realms. Jesus is speaking to Nathaniel and he's speaking to us. That he and only he is the way to heaven. As fully man, he experienced all we experience. He was tempted. He had free will. He was able to sin if he chose to. He encountered rejection. He encountered betrayal. He encountered loss. He encountered pain. But he did not sin. He lived the perfect life so he could be the perfect sacrifice. And he was fully God. God's own son, God in the flesh, walking amongst his creation to impart truth, to set people free and to reveal love as only God loves. Jesus is our ladder to God. Jesus is our stairway to God. I was going to say stairway to heaven, but I'm not going to go there. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He said that in response to another doubter, Thomas. Thomas who doubted. Utters those famous words. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. He is the way. He is the ladder. He is the stairway. And it is a ladder that is available to everybody who believe in Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to be the link between us and God. The only connection that we have with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus freely offers this way to everyone. The free gift from our Messiah. All we need is faith to follow him. The humanity of Jesus is so crucial to our understanding of who he is. Jesus the teacher who taught truth but challenged the culture. He challenged the status quo. He came to bring a sword 
to those people who would cheer as he hung on the cross. Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, both sacrifice and king, who came to free his people. Jesus the Messiah, that shows us that God has a plan. He has a plan for you. He's unfolding it. We just need to trust him and persevere. Jesus, the son of Joseph, who despite being labelled insignificant, used those very labels to reveal God's worth to be true. doesn't matter what people call you. It only matters what God calls you. Jesus, the king of Israel, who commands an eternal kingdom, who takes people as they are and speaks to them into their situation. And lastly, Jesus, the Son of Man, our living link between heaven and earth, the only way to God through faith. I want to finish this morning with one final verse. It's found in Hebrews 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, one name we didn't talk about, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I ask you to stand this morning. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray that God would reveal to us, that he would give us each revelation in our situations, that we would know that God loves us beyond all things, that he has a plan for us and he has called us, that he loves us and only through Jesus can we receive eternal life. As every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I want to pray this morning, if you're out there, if you're watching this morning online and if you're thinking to yourself, I've never asked Jesus to become Lord of my life. I've never invited him in. I didn't realize who Jesus was. And you want to do that this morning. It's, it's really simple. It's really simple. You just need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've ignored you. Jesus, Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I invite you to be Lord of my life. That's all it takes. It's as simple as that. It's just asking for forgiveness. Knowing that God will forgive you because Jesus died for you. And then inviting Jesus to become Lord. Lord of your life. That you would follow him and do as Jesus does. That you would receive his love. You would believe in his love. And you would live and love as Jesus loves touch you this morning, I encourage you to, to reach out to us. If you made that decision this morning, contact us here. Reach out to us. Comment on Facebook. Email us at the church. Reach out. We'd love to talk with you. And Lord, I pray for everybody else here. Pray for all of us in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would always reveal yourself to us. That we would always know that you are our teacher. 
that you are our Messiah, that you were Jesus, the son of Joseph, that you were the King of Israel, that you were the Son of Man, that we would always know, regardless of what's happening in our lives, that you are working to your plan. You call us to join your movement of compassion and love. As Jesus went in the face of society, loving people who were not loved, who were ignored, you call us to do the same. Help us, God. Help us to love others, to love like Jesus loved, to show compassion. Help us to know, God, that your plan is unfolding. Even if we can't see it in the background, your your plan is unfolding. You're working your plan because you're a God of order. And if we persevere, if we endure, we will see the fruit of your plan. Thank you, God, that we are not the labels that other people give us. We are not those labels. We're not the things that people call us. Well, all that matters is what you call us, God. You call us loved. You call us children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you that Jesus is the King of Israel. Thank you that come and you speak to us in our situations. You reveal yourself to us. And thank you, God, most of all, that Jesus is the Son of Man, that he is a living link between us and you, God, that only through Jesus can we receive eternal life. Only through Jesus are we free. Only through Jesus can we live for the purposes you made us for. That is the life that we are to live. Help us to always be thankful and always praise the name of Jesus because he is our stairway to reaching you so that we can enter your throne room with boldness and receive your mercy and you will give us grace in our time of need because your word promises and your word is always true. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.